morning, everybody. Great to see your smiling faces this morning. Uh, last week, we started the series that we're calling Thrive, and we're tackling what might be one of the most complex issues of life, and that is this. How does someone grow? Like, for real, how does a human life actually change? And more specifically, we're looking at why is it that some people grow and others don't? Um, you know as well as I do that some people come to faith and then they grow really, really quickly. We've seen people like this. Seems they put feet to their faith overnight. They start putting God's truth into action and putting them into practice and their lives look different than they did a day, a week, a month, a year earlier. Others, however, just kind of seem to go along week after week, month after month, sometimes even year after year with almost no growth and no change. They come to church, but when it comes to actually seeing positive change take place in their lives, you just don't see it. They carry the same baggage. They live through the same cycle of problems with no real sense of progression. Why is that? We talked about how important it is to understand this simple truth. There's no neutral in the Christian life. You're either moving forward or backwards. You're growing or you're shrinking. Now, there was a, a Christian research group that did a study a while back, and uh, when it came to this object or this subject of growing in faith, like we're talking about, thousands and thousands of interviews confirmed what they already suspected. And that was this, that there were some very distinct recurring factors in the lives of those who grow. Matter of fact, five things kept rising to the surface of these discussions. And although these five things are not found as a list per se in the Bible, the themes behind them are found throughout the pages of Scripture. Now, so we're looking at these five things. These things, are, we're calling them five things that God helps us to thrive with. Got three thing, five things that God uses to help us uh, to thrive. We started last week with practical teaching. That's what we talked about last week. Then there's providential relationships, private disciplines, personal ministry, and pivotal circumstances. Those five things. Today, we're going to take a close look at what we're calling providential relationships. Providential relationships. So, bring a name or a face to mind when I ask you this question. Who has God used to help grow your faith? Who has God used to help grow your faith? Can you think of one who has been significant in your growth? Someone who's helped you live out the faith that you hold in your heart? Who has God brought into your life that's been a continual source of encouragement in your walk? Maybe they challenge you to be better than you would had you not known them. And as you think of that person, who that might be, try to focus on someone who is not a family member, if at all possible. Because lots of us have had wonderful, godly influence from parents and family members over the years, and that's an incredible blessing in someone's life. But for the sake of this discussion, try to bring to mind a friend or an acquaintance that at some point came into your life and God used them to help develop you. God caused your paths to cross. And because of it, you're a stronger Christian today than you would had they not been in your life. So think of who that might be, a friend or acquaintance. And I say friend or acquaintance on purpose. Don't tell me Joel Osteen. 
Don't tell me Joyce Meyer unless you sit and have coffee and braid each other's hair, okay? A friend or an acquaintance, someone that's actually like in your life. Maybe you're here today and you're just kind of investigating faith and you're checking it out because you're curious. Then this might be phrased better like this. Who has helped point you towards God? Who in your life has helped point you towards God? Is there someone who has aroused your interest in God or in Christianity? Maybe because of the life that they live, um, the things that they've said to you, the invitations they've given to you to come and be in a, an environment like this. You might say something like, well, this person has obviously been enough of an impact upon me to where, like, here I am. If you'd asked me a year ago if I'd be sitting in this church, I would have said, no way, you're crazy. But yet, here you are. So for lots of us, it's pretty easy to recognize these, these providential relationships. I can see people that God brought into my life at pivotal times that were very, very instrumental in my growth. Uh, when I was about 20 years old, I met a youth pastor by the name of Mark Lawson. Uh, and he told me, you need to get involved. You need to get involved in youth ministry. And I was in the golf business at the time. And I remember telling him, I don't know anything about youth or ministry. <laughs> and he said, that's okay, I don't either. <laughs> but he was kidding. He was actually very, very good at what he did. And although I never ended up feeling called into youth ministry, God used Mark in a very, very uh, significant way for a very specific reason in my life to transition me from being a Christian youth to becoming an adult believer. I was a naive, immature 20-year-old at the time. This will give you an idea of how seasoned as adults Bonnie and I were when we got married. On our way back from our honeymoon, we actually had a discussion that, that began with these words. So, where do you want to live? <laughs> way back from our honeymoon. No kidding. We actually had that discussion. That's a snapshot of me as a 20-year-old. Okay. Mark Lawson challenged me as I grew uh, to become an adult believer, to go from a Christian youth to become an adult believer. And one of the ways was organizationally and with regard to responsibility. He was discipling me and we were scheduled to meet for lunch one day and, and I totally forgot about it. Um, just <laughs> I just forgot. And I had, it was my day off, and I was out on the golf course playing in a money game with three other pros. Totally forgot about this appointment with Mark. And I'm on the second tee box, and here comes Mark driving up in a golf cart. And I see him coming up, and he says, hey, we're supposed to be meeting for lunch today. What's going on? And I'm like, dude, so sorry, man. It was the 80s, okay? So I could talk like that. I forgot, man. Totally forgot about it. I guess we can just reschedule. And he goes, yeah, I don't think so. Why don't you jump in my cart? Let's go. I was like, what? He's, you made a commitment. I'm here to help you fulfill it. Jump in. I was like, seriously? And he won the stare down. <laughs> he won. Mark held me to my commitments. He might have been the very first non-family member to corral me and challenge me to grow up like now. And I needed it then. It was a providential relationship. Well, a number of years after that, uh, I got to know another guy by the name of Rod Carlson. A lot of you guys know him. He's come to speak at Life Church a couple of times, and he's coming again next year. Uh, the Lord brought Rod into my life at a pivotal time when I was kind of floundering in my walk. Turns out I was at a critical crossroad. And Rod was leading a great college and young adult ministry at the time, and he was the first person that I remember looking at me, looking at us, and saying, 
you guys are called into the ministry. You guys are called into the ministry. Of course, we laughed at him because we were 27 years old and we knew everything. So we just kind of chuckled at it. But week after week, as we attended the ministry that he would lead, he would catch us on the way out and say, you guys are called in the ministry. You guys are called in the ministry. I'd say, you're whack, man, probably because you're so old. He was 31 at the time, so <laughs> senility might have been setting in. But eventually he got really, really specific with us and he said, I want you guys to lead a small group of young adults, like our peers. And God breathed life into that and breathed life into us as a result of it. And it was just a time that was really, really blessed. And that led to involvement in a lot of other areas. Turns out, I don't even know if Rod knew this at the time, but he was training me. He was preparing me for what would happen three years later. Because after this season of Rod taking me through boot camp when it comes to ministry training, God called me into full-time ministry. Rod got the last laugh, and he's never let me forget it. <laughs> now, looking back, I can see that how God was working. They were providential relationships, meaning God brought these people into my life to provide something for me that I needed at the time. So, are you picturing someone? You're bringing a name or a face to mind, someone that God has used for you as a, as a providential friendship. Make a note of that. Make a mental note of that because we're going to come back to that in just a second. But I want to follow that question that I threw, to you out, uh, threw out to you with another question, kind of the flip side. And here's the flip side question for you. Is there someone in your life who has undermined your faith? Is there someone in your life that has undermined your faith? In other words, you can see that the enemy has used this person to influence you wrongly, away from walking closely with God. Maybe they caused you to doubt or to drift. Maybe their habits were destructive or unhealthy and you picked up on some of that. And you see now that you got pulled in to some degree. And you might look back on that friendship now and think thoughts like this. I wish I never answered that call. I wish I never went on that trip with that group of people. I wish I never made that business connection. I wish I never took that job. I regret it. That person brought out the worst in me. So do you see the power of relationships? For good or for bad, they're not just random. They're not insignificant. And they're not just foisted upon us either. We have a part in it. I mean, honestly, I could have avoided Mark. I could have avoided Rod. I could have said, listen, I don't have time for this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to meet with you. I don't want to allow your good, challenging influence into my life. And that's that. I could have said that. So it's not like God forced these friendships upon me. He used the natural intersection of our lives, their lives with mine, and we leaned into the friendship for all it was worth. And it was worth a lot because God used those guys to help shape me as, an, as a believer and as a man. You know what you never ever hear? You know what you never hear in someone's faith story if they're telling you their faith story? You never hear somebody say something like this. I was far from God and I knew it all by myself. I sought for God in isolation. Nobody helped me. Nobody pointed me. I didn't see anybody who modeled what life could be like in connection with God. I figured out how to get right with God and I did that all by myself. I discovered how to grow in my newfound Christian faith all by myself and I've been doing it ever since alone. 30 years of ministry, I have never heard anyone say those words. And if you think that story is your story, you probably don't know your own story very well. 
Because the truth is we are relational beings. And the things that happen to us happen in some degree of community. Influence is brought into our lives by others, good or bad. So, and I have learned the power of this. So I'd love to have people around me that inspire me, that bring me joy. And I try to, the best I can to do that for the people around me. I try really hard to do that whether, wherever these people may be on the faith spectrum. So when you hear someone's faith story, there is usually a chapter in it that sounds something like this. And then someone invited me to go to church with them. Then I met this girl who was a Christian. Then my friend invited me to a Christian concert. Then I started this new job and my manager was a person of deep faith. Then my friend shared with me how he came to faith in Jesus. Almost, almost always, there is a providential relationship that appears in the storyline. This is a huge thing to realize, friends. So lean into those relationships. When God gives that to you, lean into them. They're a blessing from God. You know, one of the guiding statements of my whole life is this thought. I want to do God's bidding with people I love. I want to do God's bidding with people I love. Now here's the truth. There is a spiritual component of friendships that most of us vastly underestimate. Because this influence is exchanged and we're impacted by our relationships. I'll go so far as to say this. Show me your friends and I can tell a lot about your life. Here's what, listen to what the writer of Proverbs says about this. Proverbs 13.20 He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Some people just drastically underestimate this truth. They say, I am my own man. Nobody influences me. Baloney. That just means you don't realize it. You know, just a couple nights ago, Bonnie and I were driving downtown, downtown Orlando, past some clubs and some stuff like that on a, I don't remember what night it was, but there was a club there and there was a line coming out of this club going all the way around the block. All, I mean, hundreds of young people. And we just had to chuckle. They were all dressed identical. <laughs> They're all saying, I'm an individual. They all look like each other. They're all dressed exactly the same. We are swayed to some degree by others, for good or for bad. Some a lot, some a little. And for the most part, we don't have neutral relationships. People in your life either erode your faith or they help build it. So pay attention. Because this is a principle that either works for us or against us. That is to say, we can either recognize the providential relationships in our life and benefit, or we can just be ignorant of them and just gain nothing. We'll miss out on the growth that could take place. But here's the issue. Once we see this, once we recognize, we see this truth about relationships, what do you do with it? Once you understand it to be true, what do you do with it? You don't just place that on your to-do list. What are you doing? Well, I'm establishing providential relationships. What are you doing? It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. So how does it work? What does it look like in the real world? What does it look like in the Bible? I'm really glad you asked that. Okay. One of the great characters in all of Scripture, in my opinion, and quite possibly the patron saint of providential relationships is a man named Joseph who was later renamed Barnabas. We read about him in the book of Acts. 
Joseph Barnabas was a Levite. He was, that's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were honored as a tribe, and they served in the temple. But Joseph wasn't allowed. Now, why is that? Because he was born in Cyprus, not, he wasn't born in Israel. He was what was called a Hellenist. Hellenists were Israelites that were born overseas, so they were regarded as foreigners. They didn't speak Aramaic, which native-born Israelites did, and they were considered to have picked up defiled Gentile ways. So the Hellenists were kind of looked down upon. Now, you might expect Joseph, also known as Barnabas, to be cranky about this, but he's not. He actually keeps kind of a good, godly perspective, and he's a committed member of the early church, this new spiritual community. Now, in Acts chapter 9, the opportunity for one of these providential relationships arises. And there's this man named Saul who has been terrorizing the followers of Jesus. Saul is a nightmare. And here's what it says in, in Acts 9.1. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So Saul is this guy who was making a living out of making Christians' lives miserable. He was zealous about his cause. He would stop at nothing to fulfill his purposes. Well, almost nothing. Because, miraculously, Saul meets Jesus. He repents and he believes. But then Saul has a really, really big problem. Because when he comes to Jerusalem to join the disciples, they're all afraid of him. They're scared to death of this guy. They don't believe he's really a disciple. So they, all they know is that this man, Saul, has threatened and imprisoned and killed their friends and family members. So how could they know this conversion is real and he's not just playing them to kind of infiltrate the believers? So nobody would touch Saul with a 10-foot pole. Nobody's willing to take that risk. They all say stuff like, I'm not going near him. You crazy? Christians around him end up dead. So they're not going near. But... God was arranging the opportunity for one of these providential relationships. Joseph, now known as Barnabas, which means, the name actually means son of encouragement, that's his name, he's willing to take a risk on Saul. And so he follows the leading of the Holy Spirit in his own life, and he reaches out to Saul the murderer. And Barnabas becomes Saul's friend, gets to know him a little bit. And he has an inclination to believe the best, to Expect the best and call out the best in his new friend for the sake of Saul and for the sake of the kingdom. So he brings Saul in to meet with all the believers, brings him into the gathering place. Guys, here he is. This is Saul. You can come out from behind the curtains. I know you're there. You don't have to be afraid. Look what's happened to this man. He's had an encounter with God. Now he's giving his entire life for the gospel from, from this point on. So take it from me, guys. This man can be trusted. And because Barnabas was willing, the disciples embraced Saul. And look at Acts 9.28. It says, So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now you think about this. What would have happened to Saul if he hadn't known Barnabas? In his acceptance is the result of one providential relationship. There's power in that. And you know what? You have the power to do that for someone else. You carry the power to do that for somebody else. So look for people that are out on the perimeter of community and welcome them in. Be 
Be proactive about this. Find people, draw them in, love them, accept them. I mean, just because you're comfortable in the community of faith doesn't mean the game's over. A lot of people out on the edges that need to be pulled in with love. Maybe you'll be their providential relationship. So look for those opportunities. You know, at the end of that story, there's a really interesting summary that comes in Acts 9.31. Really, just right on the heels of this. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. If you know the Bible at all, you know how critical that early season was in the life of the church. And the church began to thrive. Now, Barnabas appears again years later at another critical moment in the life of the church. And we're going to see how he continues in the realm of providential relationships. Paul and Barnabas. Now, Saul has become Paul. He's going by his Roman name now. So Paul and Barnabas now are, are still very good friends. And they would often travel together and with some other folks that they were helping to develop in ministry. One of those people that they traveled with was a young man by the name of Mark. Mark. Mark had a very bad episode as a young man because he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. And Mark does not stand up for his friend Jesus. Instead, he freaks out and he bolts. He, he just flees, runs away into the night. Bible shows that very clearly. Later on, Mark comes back to the faith and is part of this new community uh, of believers. And for a while, he travels with Paul and with Barnabas on their ministry trips. But apparently, his old nature popped its head up once again because Mark deserts them. He deserts Paul and Barnabas. Don't know exactly why, but he just, he bailed. So in Acts chapter 15, they're about to take another ministry trip. And here's what happens between Saul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them also, but Paul insisted that they should not take someone who had deserted them at Pamphylia and who had not continued with them in their work. So, listen, so sharp was their disagreement that they separated. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Now you think about this for a moment. At this point in time, Paul is probably the most powerful and influential person in the entire Christian faith. And not only that, but personally, Paul was a pretty formidable guy. He could be intimidating. He was forceful. I mean, confronting Paul, that had to take some spine for Barnabas to stand up to him like this. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation? <laughs> I think about this. I think Barnabas... You know, getting Paul in the corner of the room and saying, so you don't like Mark anymore, huh? Why don't you listen to me, Spanky? You remember in Jerusalem when no one would touch you with a 10-foot pole because you'd done such awful things? Who was it that gave you a second chance? That's right. Now you're not going to give Mark a second chance? You better think again, Mojambo. I mean, that's pretty saucy. But Barnabas had the spine to do that. But they part ways. They don't come to agreement at this point in time. They part ways. And it's interesting because the Bible doesn't say that one guy was wrong and the other guy was right. It just says that both missionary journeys were productive and blessed. It's remarkable to me. So Mark, think about this. Mark's hope stays afloat because of the providential relationship that he had with Barnabas. Paul and the others were ready to quit on him 
But God used Barnabas to hold him up and give him another shot. And it paid off. It paid off big time. Because something really, really interesting happens years later. In Paul's last letter from prison, it's right before he dies, he writes these lonely words in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to these words. Paul writes here, he's in prison. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Whoops, there's Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Get Mark and bring him to me. Paul might just as well have said, Barnabas was right about Mark. Barnabas was right. So the lives of Mark and Barnabas are tributes to the power of providential relationships. God brings people into your life at strategic points to encourage you and help you thrive in your faith. So, as we wrap up, let me just say this. Recognize that person or those people in your life that perhaps God has brought to you for, for this season. Maybe this person is there to help you grow. Maybe you're there in their life to help them grow. But if you both lean into those relationships, you'll both thrive. God works that way. So one of the most powerful things that God uses to help us grow and to help us thrive is providential relationships. So lean into them and thank God for them. Won't you bow your heads and we'll pray. Lord, we're grateful because we can probably bring a name, a face, maybe several, to mind when we think about our growth, what's happened to us over the years. Lord, we, we want to say thank you for that. Thank you for bringing those people into my life. Thank you for bringing those people into the lives of all my friends here. Thank you for working behind the scenes and causing our lives to intersect with another that's really going to bless our lives. And Lord, we want to be available to you that we might be used in the life of, life of someone else. God, do your work in us. We see your wisdom at work, and it's amazing to us. Help us, Lord, to lean into these relationships that we might grow, that we might thrive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.